simple things that can help us to review what worship is all about. Some simple things that help us review what worship is all about. Let's think about honor to God. Let's begin by thinking about honor to God. Worship is really about honoring God. Remember how Jesus helps us to pray as he discusses this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. He said, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God represents all that's great about him. It represents his character. It represents his holiness. It represents his authority. It represents his majesty upon high. It represents his excellence. All, all that he does is, is perfect and good. It represents his tremendous power. The name of God. Hallowed be thy name. We read in Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15 that, that God dwells in a very high and holy place. So the first thought about worship is to honor God. Honor God. One verse from Psalm. And then we'll move on. Psalm 95 and verse 6. Psalm number 95, verse 6. This is familiar to you. Notice what it says. O come, O come and let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That's it right there. I believe that sums up honoring God as good as any one statement could do. Psalm 95, verse 6. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For me, that statement points uh, to Jesus. It starts with, with the little word, just one letter, O. O come. O come. That's a word of emotion. And Jesus came with a great deal of emotion. He, he begged people to come uh, to the Father and put away their sins, put away their false ideals, and simply come to the Father. We remember Matthew 23, Jesus, he said, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, how often I would have gathered you as, as a hen gathered her brood under her wing, but you would not come. But Jesus came with a great deal of emotion, and he urged people to come to the Father. O come, let us... I think about Jesus because he, he, he sought to, to include everyone. When Jesus came into the world, the world was much divided as it is now, but the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews, and Jews and Gentiles were divided, but Jesus came and he invited everyone. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, All you... Every one of you, all you who labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down, Psalm 95 says. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You know, Jesus talked a lot about worship too. He said in John 4, 20-24, He said to the woman of Samaria, He said, The true worshipers, We'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And these are the ones that the Father seeks uh, to worship Him. 
Psalm 95, verse 6. It's a great, great statement of honor. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Jesus knew a lot about kneeling. And we remember him going to the Garden of Gethsemane. We, we remember his struggles. We remember uh, the pain that he was in. We remember him praying. Luke twenty two forty one says, First he kneeled as he prayed. He kneeled to the Father. Well then later in verse 44 we read that he actually just fell on his face. What's he doing? He's giving honor unto the Lord. And so we begin by reminding ourselves that it's all about honoring God. Next, let's think about worship in, in the sense of being accurate and authentic. Accurate and authentic. We'll begin with accurate, of course. Worship must be accurate. John four twenty four. Jesus says, Those that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. In truth, God's expectations of us in worship is that we worship Him according to His truth. According to His truth. Now that's a great statement there in John 4, 24. I want you to notice a couple of parallels to that in the New Testament. Okay, That sounds a lot like what Jesus says in John 4, 24. Turn with me to Romans 1, verse 9. Turn over to Romans 1, verse 9. See what Paul says. Romans 1 verse 9. He says, God is my witness. Alright. And then he said this. Whom I serve with my spirit according to the gospel of his son. I'm going to repeat that. Look at Romans 1 verse 9. Okay. And then remember in your mind John 4.24. John 4.24. Jesus says, God is spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then notice, if you will, Romans 1 verse 9, Paul says, God is my witness, whom I serve, now serve includes worship, whom I serve with my spirit according to the gospel of his son. You see, worship has got to be accurate. And it is the scripture, it is the Bible that gives us the proper view of God, who he is, but also it is the scripture that tells us what God expects in worship. Notice Romans 1 verse 9. Notice also Philippians 3 verse 3. Notice Philippians 3 verse 3. Paul says we are the real circumcision. And he says we worship by the Spirit of God. Giving glory to Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in man. That's another great statement about worship. Philippians 3 verse 3. We are the real circumcision and we worship by the Spirit of God. When Paul says we worship by the Spirit of God, he means we worship according to the Word of God, the truth. We remember Paul's statement in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, take the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. So when he says we worship by the Spirit of God, we're worshiping according to the truth of God's Word. And we are bringing glory to Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in man. We put no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. Notice another parallel statement here in Colossians chapter uh, 3 and verse 16 where Paul begins the verse by saying, Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. And so how do we get into worship? Well, first, the Word of God directs us. We don't know how to worship. We don't know how to get the proper view of the one that we're honoring, God Almighty, except that we have this. The Word of God must be living in our lives so that we can properly come to Him in worship. Colossians 3 16. But notice the next verse also, Colossians 3 and verse 17, where the Apostle Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus. Now to do something in the name of Jesus is to do it according to God's holy will. I like what Jesus said in, in John five forty three. It's just a brief statement. And if we were just reading John 5, we might not even stop and realize what he was saying, but it's, it's, it's tremendous. John 5, 43. He said to the Jews, he says, I come in my Father's name. That says it all for Jesus right there. He says, I come in my Father's name. In other words, I have come to do my Father's will. I am coming by, by the authority of heaven itself. But, but just read the verse, John 5, 43. He says, I come in my Father's name and you will not receive me. Another person is going to come in their own, night, their own name and you will receive him. And I thought, isn't that the way of the world? Here we have Jesus who came under the authority of heaven. But then other people will come along, come in their own name and people will receive them. They'll reject Jesus and they'll receive man. Jesus, of course, is saying we ought not to do that. And we worship by the name of Jesus. Whatever we do in word or deed, that includes worship. We do according to the name of our Lord. You see, it's all about the content. Where is it do we get our guide in life? Where do we get our, our prescription? Where do we get our, um, our direction in worship? It's about what's in the Bible. When we... Maybe you do this. Maybe you have a favorite movie you watch. And, and then after that you want to uh, see a couple of the scenes again. Nowadays you can go back into uh, the movie and just uh, select the scene that you want to watch. But those, there's a lot of those scenes. There may be 50 uh, little squares or scenes uh, or 60 of those squares or scenes in a movie. It's the content of the movie. You can go back in and watch different parts of it. When Jesus says, worship according to the truth, worship in truth, he's talking about the truth contains okay, the will of God. The truth, the New Testament, has the contents of what God wants us to understand in order uh, to worship Him. In Acts chapter 26 and 25, Paul is standing before a few rulers, and Festus looks to Paul, Acts 26, 25. He looks to Paul, and he says, Paul, you are beside yourself. You're mad. You're, you're beside yourself. Paul said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak unto you words of truth and soberness. You see, the words of Scripture are words of truth. And it's these words that guide us. So our, our worship must be accurate. But as you see here, our worship must also be authentic. 
That's why Jesus says in John 4.24, we must worship in spirit. When he says spirit here, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit part of the, the Godhead. He's talking about our own, our own heart, our spirit, our, our heart, our mindset. Worship must be authentic from the standpoint of our own heart, mindset. Remember Matthew 22, 37-39, Jesus says, we must love God with our heart and soul. You remember that? We must love God, and that's what worship is. We are expressing our love to God when we worship. We must love God with our heart and soul. You see, if our, if our worship is heartless, then it's really worthless before God. He wants our heart and soul involved. And so, this means not just saying the right words, but it means meaning what we say. It means not just saying the right words, but believing those words. Believing what we sing. Understanding what we sing. It means not just doing the right things in worship, but having absolute sincerity in doing this. We talked earlier about honoring God. Well, our heart is to be all about honoring God as we worship. Not just going through the motions of the acts of worship, but honoring Him, being authentic, being real in our worship. Remembering that He is our Maker. Remembering that He is gracious to us. Remembering how much He does love us. Remembering who He is, how excellent He is. How awesome He is. How powerful He is. How good He is to us. And the hope that we find in Him. Remembering all that as we worship the Lord God Almighty. Our worship must be authentic. Not just saying the words. Not just doing the things. But being absolutely sincere as we do them. You recall in, in 1 Samuel 16. that There was to be a selection of a new king. So God sent Samuel to the house of Jesse, and they would select David. But God told Samuel, now, be careful. Remember, God does not see, your God does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, 1 Samuel 16, 7. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God, God said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And so they chose David, a man after God's own heart. We need to remember that as we worship. God looks upon the heart. More than that, looking over to Jeremiah 17, verse 10, we find out that God not only looks upon the heart, but He searches the heart and He tests the heart. Okay. So when we are serving God, whether it be in everyday life or especially when we come to worship, we've got to remember that God is searching our hearts. That's what He's looking at. He's not just looking at what we're doing in worship. He's looking at our heart. Where's our mind? Where is our mind? He knows exactly where our mind is in worship. We've got to be authentic uh, in worship. I think about searching. I think about having a flashlight. I think about if I've lost something, I'm searching for it. If I need to, I'm going to get a flashlight. I'm going to look under things. I'm going to look in corners. Think about God doing that inside your heart. Inside your mind, as we worship uh, the Lord. 
being authentic in worship, not just saying the right words and doing the right things. And it's also, it's not just being moved by the, by the melody of a song. There are some songs you might like the tempo of some songs better than you do other songs, okay? But our being real in worship is not being moved just by the different tones of the songs, but rather being, being moved about the, what's in the song and the expression of God's will in that song. Being authentic in worship is not just being moved by the tone of the speaker or teacher or the expression or uh, the humor, if you will, of, of a speaker or a teacher, but rather, of course, we are to be moved by God's Word. We've got to appreciate what is said about Jesus after He finished the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven twenty nine. It says, The people were astonished at His teaching, and that's what we're driving for as we worship God, we want to look at His teaching and we want it to have a tremendous impact upon us and that will help us to be authentic in our worship. So just a little review about worship today. We know we've got to honor God with worship. We've got to be accurate in worship. And we've got to be authentic through and through uh, with God. Now, there's some things we can't be if we're going uh, to worship. We can't be arrogant. We know this. We can't be arrogant. An arrogant person is one who has a hard time seeing his need for God. If we cannot see our need for God, then we're going to have a very difficult time worshiping Him. And Jesus teaches about this in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3, when He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those that mourn, And also, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These are all descriptions of someone who sees their need for God. A classic example of this is Luke 18 and the the story that Jesus tells. Luke 18, verses 9 through 13. Luke 18, the Pharisee and publican went to the temple to pray. You remember this. Now, the setup of this parable is interesting there in verse 9 of Luke 18. It says, it was, it was meant for those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they also had contempt for other people. And that's just the way it is. If you have contempt for other people, then that's going to drive you to trust in yourself. And if you trust in yourself, you're going to have contempt for other people because you've lost focus upon God. But we, we remember the Pharisee and how he attempted to worship uh, in that temple. First it says he stood. And then he prayed with himself. And first he thanked God that he was not as other men in their sins. He thanked God that he wasn't like an adulterer or an extortioner. Or someone who's just unfair and unjust. Or even like this publican over here in the corner. I'm, Lord, I'm thankful I'm not like that, pers- that person over there. But the real lesson comes from the publican himself. A few things said about the publican as he prayed in that temple. First it says that he stood afar off. In other words, he didn't feel as if he deserved to be in the holy temple of God. And then, 
it says that he could hardly lift up his eyes to heaven. I want you to think about this for a minute. And be turning with me to the book of Ezra. It gives a little background on this. It says the publican could not hardly lift up his eyes to heaven. But if you turn over to Ezra chapter 9 and verse number 6. I sure hope this is right. Yeah, this is right. Ezra now. Ezra is, is leading a prayer. And he is concerned because the people of God are intermarrying. They're having intermarriages with people of the world, which usually brings about more sin. And he's very concerned about this. So notice in Ezra 9, verse 5, as he prays, okay, he falls upon his knees, he spreads out his hands to the Lord, and then he says, Oh my God, I am ashamed and I blush to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have been higher than our heads, and our guilt has mounted up uh, to the heavens. This is the same attitude that the publican is showing there in the temple in Luke 18. He is blushing. He knows of his own sins. He has a difficult time even looking up to heaven. This is the type of um, heart that we're looking for, God is looking for in worship. So he stands afar off. He doesn't feel like he deserves to be there. He has a hard time even lifting up his eyes to heaven. And then he beats upon his chest. Okay. He beats upon this is a sign of grief, usually. And I, I'll use here Luke uh, twenty three at the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke twenty three. And what a spectacle it was at the cross. And have you ever noticed how people responded to all this? For example, Luke twenty three forty seven says, The centurion saw what had taken place, and he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And then verse 48, Luke 23, And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. They knew an innocent man had just died. They weren't quite sure all that was involved in this death. They knew something spectacular, but also something very sad was taking place. So they go home and they beat on their chest. Sign of tremendous grief. Remember what Jesus said from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5? Blessed are those that mourn. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about our sins ought to cause us to grieve about who we have become and then turn to God. This is the type of heart God is looking for in worship. We've got to be authentic. If we're going to be authentic, we can't ever be arrogant. We just can't be arrogant. Now this ties in a little bit to what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He said, if you come and you're about to offer your gift in worship to God, He said, and you remember that you have a conflict with a brother or sister. He says, first leave your gift at the altar. And then first go and be reconciled to your brother. And once you are reconciled with your brother, then you can come and offer your gift. 
The only thing that would keep you from doing that is pride, stubbornness, a lack of respect, and fear. But Jesus says it's got to be done. Because we want to come with an authentic heart to God in worship. Well, if we're going to worship, we can't be superficial. We can't be superficial in worship. What does this mean? This means pertaining to the surface. Okay. Uh, you've heard it said, uh, that was a superficial wound. When I was little, I had a lot of superficial wounds. Brother Roger, one of the greatest things that, that we would do as little boys is run through the woods. Briar patches and all. It was great. But when you come out of a briar patch, there's a lot of superficial wounds. You look bad because you're bleeding everywhere and you're cut, but you're having a great time. But those superficial wounds, not a big deal. But now also, if you're running through wounds, running through a patch of woods and you happen upon a barbed wire fence, now that's going to be a little bit more than a superficial wound. I've experienced both of those things. But we know what we mean when we say superficial wound. Just scratching the surface. God says, I don't want you doing that in worship. I want all of you. God wants all of us in worship. Not just all of us, but all of us. All of me. My heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants all of me in worship. He doesn't want to super... What causes us to be superficial? You know, Paul refers to this in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 5. He says, some having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. What causes us to be that way? What causes us to hang around the surface and not really get into it? Well, the major cause, of course, is sin. The major cause is sin. We love our sin and pleasure. When you look right there in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul is talking about, you know, in the last days we'll be lovers of our own selves, we'll be lovers of pleasures, we'll be be lovers of, of pleasures more than lovers of God. We just love our sin, we love our pleasure, and that causes us to be superficial in worship. Now, Isaiah touches on this in Isaiah chapter 1. If you glance to Isaiah chapter 1, you look from about verses 3 down to verse 15. It's interesting because they're bringing sacrifices. The people are bringing sacrifices to God. They're coming to worship, but God has no pleasure in their sacrifices. Why? Well, Isaiah 1, 3, and 4 says they are laden, L-A-D-E-N. They are laden with sins. L-A-D-E-N, laden. What does that mean, laden? Well, you ever seen a family go on vacation? They're just going to be gone three days, but their car is packed like they're going to be like they're moving to California forever. Okay, that poor car is laden with luggage. Okay, it means to pack on. These people in Isaiah's day, they were actually doing this. They were they had their sins packed on their lives. But then, in spite of that, they were actually going through the ritual of worship. God was very displeased with this. Very displeased. Somehow they had lulled themselves into thinking that their ceremony of worship was going to be able to forgive them of their sin. 
And it may be that some do that today. Is it the case that even today that some folks will just ignore the Lord's authority Monday through Saturday in their daily lives but think maybe that what they do on the first day or what they do in some sort of worship is going to cover uh, their sin. That's what's happening in Isaiah's day. So why is it that we stay on the surface of worship? It could be that our sin and pleasure, we love our sin and pleasure. It could be we love our sin and games because that's what they were doing in Isaiah. One, they're playing games. Playing games. They were thinking. They, they had thought about it so much. They thought, well, well, let's just do this. We know that the Lord wants this. Well, let's just do this. Maybe this will work. They're playing games with God. That doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. Why do we? It could be that we love our sin in our, in our speech. In James chapter 3, you know there's a great warning about how we speak and what we say using our words in a godly way. James 3 verse 8 says, Our tongue can be full of deadly poison. It can be an unruly evil. And then James 3 verse 9, he says, With it, here's what we do. With it, we will bless God the Father. And with it, we will curse man who is made in the image of God. He says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. And then he goes, can a fountain bring forth both um, salt water and fresh? Bitter water and fresh. Okay. It doesn't happen that way. So it ought not to happen with our tongues. But we do that. We do that. Mankind in general, we do that. We seek to bless God on the one hand and turn around and curse man on the other. My brethren, these things ought not so to be, he says. So, if we're going to be authentic in our worship, then we can't be arrogant. You know that. We can't be superficial. These are just reminders. And then also, we can't be selective in our worship. We can't be selective. When it comes to the Lord's Day worship, the New Testament pattern, we say New Testament, New Testament because Jesus brought in the New Covenant, the New Testament, His will. Okay. And it is to take the place of everything else. It, was, it is meant to and it has taken the place of every other philosophy, every other religious teaching that ever has been. Even the old law of Moses, that was nailed to the cross, Colossians 2.14. It is nailed to the cross and so, we can't be selective in our worship. We can't just worship God in any old way we want to. We've got to pay attention to Him. And so when it comes down to the Lord's Day worship, according to the New Testament, we worship in five ways. As we've already done this morning, we, we pray, and we sing, and we study together. As we will do, Lord willing, here in just a few minutes, we'll gather around the Lord's table and remember His, His death and sacrifice and resurrection. And we also give our, our means because God is so good uh, to us. Those, those are the five acts of worship authorized by God in His New Testament. We can't be selective in how we worship God. Some people go on vacation. And they'll drop by a congregation just long enough to sample the communion and then they're on the way to Disney. That's being selective in your worship. 
God didn't authorize communion only. He authorized five acts of worship, didn't he? Some people will surmise, well, I've had enough worship today. I'm not coming back on Sunday night. I don't care what you say to me. I'm not coming back on Sunday night. I know what they're talking about on Sunday night. I don't have to go back on Sunday I don't need to go back on Sunday night. We're being selective in worship. The missionary is going to be there on Sunday night. I don't need to go back on Sunday night. We're being selective in our worship when we think that way. It comes down to what Paul warns about in Colossians chapter 2, 22 and 23. He says, be careful about will worship. W-I-L-L. It's not a boy's name. It is an attitude of heart. Will worship. I want to I do things according to my own desire. Okay. I want to worship God according to my own convenience. I want to worship God according to my own concern. I want to worship God the way I want to worship God. I want to create an atmosphere. I want to create a situation where I worship God according to my own thoughts about life. And we must eliminate that. That's called will worship. And then we can't be distracted in worship. And this is our final thought this morning. Behave yourself. Eleven fifteen, almost. A little after eleven fifteen. We can't be distracted in worship. And we think a lot about this when it comes to communion. So we we'll be getting to communion here in just a minute. But Paul talks to us in First Corinthians eleven about not being distracted as we worship. He says we need to rivet in. We need to discern. He says there in First Corinthians. 11, 27, 28. Discerning the Lord's body. It means we are appreciating, we are understanding the significance of the death of Jesus. We're, we're understanding of what it means, the fact that Jesus shed His blood, that He gave Himself on our behalf and He shed His blood for our sins. We are discerning that. We're, we're seeking to find a real meaning in that. We're, we're riveting ourselves, we're fastening ourselves this. You know, Paul says concerning worship in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, when, when we sing, we've got to sing with the understanding. When we pray, we've got to pray with the understanding. Oftentimes, Jesus would say, as we mentioned earlier, to love God. He said, love God with your heart and soul, but he also said, love God with your mind. He repeated that four times in the New Testament, to love God with your mind. Now, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13, gird up the loins of your mind and then go and serve God. We've got to be fastened. We've got to be fastened upon what we're doing in worship. My mind goes to roller coasters. And I think about being fastened in. Isn't that right? Now, I want the most challenging roller coaster that there is. But first, I want that little 16-year-old who's telling me what to do when I get in the little car to know what she's talking about. And I want her to make sure that I am fastened in before they start. And I've had some questions for them before because it didn't seem like they, they you know, they go through the, before they send us up this huge amount of a hill. Okay, they're supposed to go through and check you, but they just come by and they just touch the little bar that's in front. They just touch the bar. And so I stopped her one time. I said, "I don't think you checked my bar real well enough. Stop here and check my bar." And so she did. She took it real good. I was ready to go. 
We think about worship. Our mind's got to be fastened in. It's got to be driven in on what we're doing. We seek not to be distracted. Usually we are our own worst distraction in worship. Our own concerns, our own worries, our own thoughts, what's going on in our own lives. That's Most of the time it's not something outward. It is, it is ourself that gets distracted. And so a little review about worship. We see that worship is to honor God. We see worship has got to be accurate according to God's will. We see that worship must be authentic, absolutely authentic. But we also see there are some things that can keep us from being authentic. If we're not humble, if we become superficial, if we are selective in our worship, or if we get distracted in worship, then we can't be authentic before God. Someone has said that worship is declaring war upon Satan. And it is part of our war against Satan. Satan is warring against us. And the last thing he wants us to do is to spend large amounts of time in worship and devotion to God. That's the last thing Satan is scared to death. Here's what happens in worship. God is glorified, we are edified, and Satan is terrified. Part of our war against Satan is to come and worship God in spirit and in truth. And as Jesus would look to us and say, Come, and we invite everyone, we invite anyone today. If you have not, if you have not started your relationship with the Lord Jesus, if you have not turned from your sin, if you have not been immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Jesus says, Come. We invite you to come, not only to serve Him, but to worship Him all the days of your life. Please come right now as we stand together. We sing the Lord.